The Center for Medical Simulation presents Welcome to Simfields and other conversations from the Sim Sofa. You're here with Candice Pagliatis from Boston. And Kirsty Freeman from Singapore. Oh my goodness, so strange, Kirsty. You used to always say Australia. I now know. It's Singapore. Well, now it's Singapore. I thought I'd, uh, you know, have a bit more greenery and uh, great food around me. Wait a minute. Where are you in this very moment, though? Well, technically, I'm in a hotel in quarantine in Australia or at the virtual bar celebrating um, the new fellows of the Society for Simulation in Healthcare. This is... Uh... In some ways, so fun. I'm finding this really fun, the hopping between the floors. And um, so the platform that the Society for Simulation Healthcare is using is Remo. And you can hop between floors and hop between tables. And for some reason, Kirsty and I always end up at a bar. Why do you think that is, Kirsty? Because it's a great place <laughs> to network. Where else would we want to hang out other than the virtual bar? So we're very sad to not have Marcus Rawl with us today, yet here at the bar with us, the virtual bar, we have Dr. Teresa Gore, who's a professor at University of South Florida College of Nursing, also past president of Anaxel. I think that's the way that I met you, Teresa. I'm not sure, but she's definitely, Teresa is one of the mo my most favorite people to see at conferences and she just happens to be at the bar with us Thank again. You. I am so excited to be here and to be a new fellow and happy that we were able to get into the same floor at the same bar. Uh, so I'm that sorry we, we don't have a bartender here. Very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Teresa was telling us about a sim fail at her organization and so let's hear about it Teresa. So we had a group of students. We were doing a combination of med surge and psych sim because we had uh, psych integrated throughout our curriculum. And so we had an elderly patient, a uh, Southern Baptist lady in her 80s, and she was coming in with heart failure. And in, on the third day was having a lot of confusion and acting out. And we had it to where she had, we were going for alcohol withdrawal, but we also had her on benzos. And so we had an idea that the students were sharing this information with each other. We had students walking in that would do an assessment and go, she's an alcohol withdrawal without ever asking, hey, do you drink? Or asking the daughter, does she drink? So we, you know, went out and we had confronted them. Well, before we confronted them, we had discovered it. So we said we would make her have, if they went straight to alcohol, it wouldn't be alcohol, it would be benzo withdrawal. And so we had it to where it could go either way. And this group that came in, uh, when they said alcohol withdrawal, it wasn't it. And they were so confused. They had no idea what to do. No, oh they goodness. were standing there during the headlights looking and going, but, but, but it has to be alcohol and we just let it go. And they realized when we started debriefing it, that they had lost a valuable learning opportunity 
and we had to have that great discussion of academic integrity and that they could be brought before the school for academic issues because they had been sharing that information. And we explained how it would be uh, beneficial for them to have the learning experience of discovery because once they had it in their mind that it was one thing, they could not shift to another gear. They could not go into another direction. And so from then on, when we had these, we had uh, we started writing our scenarios so that they could go in two directions. So that if there was sharing, that we could change it. Teresa, thank you so much for sharing that experience because I'm sure that's an experience that many of our simulation colleagues in different environments, whether they be various disciplines or various uh, institutions have had. Can I ask a question about the preparation that you give your learners before they come in? We often hear about the briefing that we give and the orientation to the environment. Do you as faculty have down that, that statement where you say, don't share? You know, Do you have a confidentiality clause that you share with your learners? We do, and they sign it each semester. And then we reiterate it every single scenario because they do more than one scenario a day. And we remind them of that. And then we talk about the ethics. And so that's part of our pre-briefing as you know we go over the general sim objectives not the specific ones but the general ones and then we talk to them about i think we one thing that i have learned and this is another sim learn is how you set uh the stage i always tell the students or any learners do you learn better from your successes or your struggles and they always say when i struggle i said well, we're going to have a learning experience today if you could do this perfect, then it's, a, then it's a waste of my time and your time. So we're here to teach you and we want you to learn. And that I found has set a total different stage because the students go in with that expectation. We're going to challenge them. And this is a better time to learn it with them in the sim lab and not on a real patient. Because I remind them, I have a control alt delete I can restart a mannequin. I cannot do that to a human being. And so that's why we tell them that. And I think that we're changing the environment by doing that because I've heard enough from people in institutions and in hospitals say, you know, we're having to redo the harm and the trauma caused during school when they were doing simulations. And so by setting the different tone and expectations, I think that we can allow the students to feel free to make the, uh, mistakes if it's not a high stakes. So Teresa, I have to ask, was all of that present when they were, I'm gonna call it sim cheating, <laughs> was that present? Or like what changes did you make from all of this? So that is when we, when we started seeing it is when we started, besides just signing at the beginning of the semester, saying that they won't share, we started doing it before every single simulation. And then we started putting uh, okay. more into the pre-briefing and we started having discussions at the beginning of each semester when they came in for their boot camp about sharing information was the same as cheating on an exam. Yeah, so when we were doing the high stakes 
we, we were doing the proof of concept with Marianne Rizzolo for the high stakes for National League for Nursing to see if you can use simulation to say whether or not a nursing student can graduate or not. We noticed what I call in, in the Defining Excellence textbook as simulation bias, meaning because there was a multi-site study, you could see when people are just used to simulation because they'll go in and they'll all automatically wash their hands, put their gloves on, and then, you know, sign room leader and all this stuff. Like they're just used to simulation. And just like you were saying, you can tell when they were informed and when they weren't. And then what we had to do was create 10 different scenarios with the same learning objectives but different and then run them through the same thing. Did you have to do the same thing? Yes, that was one of the things we did. We had to change several things up. Like I said, we would come in and we would have it set. We had our setup the way we did it there is if they started without using the questions, the open-ended questions, the correct assessment, and they were just jumping to one conclusion, it was the other. So we had it to where when they got to the decision point to where if they were not doing the correct steps, we would make it the other, the other patient problem. And so that way they had to learn that. And I think it was good because they had to learn if they go in thinking one thing, that doesn't mean it's going to be it, that they have to be able to set to step back. The other thing we did was started in the middle of the simulation, doing a timeout, leaving that area, going through where they were at this point, because the students were feeling very negative. They wanted to see themselves successful. So we would do a partial debriefing at the midpoint, ask where they were, what they thought was going on. They were allowed to have a discussion. They were able to get recentered. And then we let them have like three to five minutes to where they could come up with their plan of care to where we weren't listening. And so that was kind of like they had their timeout area and they were able to have a discussion of what they were going to do next to meet the objective. And then we didn't know what they were going to do because then there would be too much bias, I thought, if we let them, if we heard what they were planning. So we let it play out. And if they still weren't on track, then we had more to discuss in the debriefing. Teresa, I've had a similar experience many, many years ago, and it's not from students sharing information with the, the group that's going to come after them, but it was just a timetabling issue in where the simulation session fell within, you know, relation to the delivery of the theory content. So our, our nursing students would come in knowing that, you know, this week we'd been covering, you know, you know, diagnosis A and funnily enough, that's what the scenarios were. So sometimes it is a timetabling issue when we give them that experiential learning opportunity related to when we give them the didactic stuff. So how can we as simulation educators try and, you know, build some, you know, solutions around this? Is it designing a scenario that has a couple of different, you know, different stories that you could follow, yet, as you say, bound to the same objective? So one of the things, because I was, <clears throat> it wasn't when I was here in South Florida, Florida was somewhere else. We had very small space and we didn't have, like I said, it was a logistics problem. So one of the things we did is we combined two different topics. 
that was, like I said, it was the med surge, congestive heart failure, plus withdrawal. We would have someone in pediatric cystic fibrosis and isolation. And so they had to have two different concepts. The students thought that the pediatric was going to be a respiratory arrest because it was, you know, yeah. So they automatically thought code when the main thing was infection, infection control and isolation. And they, they were really, they didn't know what to do at that point. They were sitting there waiting for them to arrest and they played, they touched their hair while in isolation. They touched their mask and we had put the, it's called glow germ and it only lights up in the black light. So we put it on the door handle, we put it on the faucet, we put it on the IV pumps, the bed, all of that. And after the scenario was over, we turned off the lights and they said, it's over, but he didn't code. I said, he wasn't going to. And so we went in and then we did the black light and they realized that they had taken a, you know, a resistant organism and put it right at their face by touching their mask. And you could see the glow germ transferred to their mask. It transferred to their hair if they played with their ponytail. When they leaned up against the bed, it would transfer onto their isolation gown. And then we showed them things. And one of the students had the great discovery of, you mean I can do everything right, but if somebody before me cross-contaminated, it doesn't matter. And I said, that's the best lesson you could have learned because I think as simulationists, we have to get these abstract ideas to a concrete experience. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the challenges I had was how to get infection control to a concrete experience. And that's how I did it. That is brilliant, especially today. I mean, I wonder if anybody's done it with the coronavirus, you know, just exploring so many centers are so worried about how do I, how do we run this while staying safe and be very interesting to run a study like that. So we did one, it was, and we published on it, visualization, and I had paid a consultant to come in because this was back when Sim was newer and this was my brainchild. And I thought, I need somebody to come in and tell me if I've done this correctly. And so I brought Kim, Dr. Layton in. And she looked and she told me that what I was missing was infection control. And I, so I was sitting there and, you know, where do we get our best ideas is when we're finally not thinking about it. So in the shower, washing my hair, I went, ah, I've got it. It's like, so we did that and we actually had that in while Ebola was when we had the outbreak of Ebola. And so we were actually running that simulation and the newspaper came and covered it. Wow. So, so one of the things, oh, yeah. What I was going to say is, you know, this concept of academic integrity and asking our, our learners to keep aspects of the experience confidential. I have to say I've had to do some adaptations to that in the current situation we find ourselves with our students having uh, limited exposure to the clinical environments. We're having to provide them so many more simulated opportunities that what I've actually just done recently was done completely the opposite, Teresa, and actually given them their heads up. You know, there is that time, depending on where our learners are in their mm -hmm. uh, learning journey, that I've done a, a series of simulations for the recent group where I gave them the heads up, this is what we're going to do. 
because uh, it's just that opportunity to actually have that experiential learning. They know the knowledge and they just need to have that opportunity. So, you know, you're right, depending on our learners, depends on how we as faculty need to approach and set that learning experience up for them. So well, you're- I, had, I had junior students one time and they, uh, I gave them pre-SIM, what are 10 signs or symptoms you expect with congestive heart failure? And they had to bring it to me, the answers. And you know what? There was a congestive heart failure patient and over half of them did not make the connection. They knew. And what I discovered then is that they know the answer to the problem. They just don't know how to find the problem. Right. Correct. Knowing is not doing. Knowing is not seeing it in action and being able right. to identify it. So, but, you know, just going back to your question, Kirsty, like what can our listeners do when you do, you know, herd immunity education and not herd immunity as it, you know, yeah, I'm imagining everybody's thinking of the pandemic and vaccination, but um, I'm thinking, you know, when you've got like 2000 learners and you've got to put them through the same simulation mm-hmm. and you don't have faculty time is so valuable to put together a good quality simulation that often you could probably put together, you know, three versions of the same objectives, that sort of thing. And and so it's not going to change much. And I love what you were saying, Teresa, which is, and I'm just kind of rephrasing here, is going back to trying to figure out, like, why do they cheat anyway? And it's because of the anxiety. Like, if, if I was someone to tell my classmate to expect, it's probably because I had really high anxiety. I was nervous. And so as, Kirsty, what you're saying is, you know, giving them a little bit of comfort by letting them know what it is to expect. And then, Teresa, building in that time where they do have time to plan. But also, I think in the scripting that you give in in either before the course, before they come, or when they're with you, or after they run the simulation to really, you know, drive home that if you really care about your classmates, this whole activity is not for them to succeed, but you're actually subtracting from their learning. They're not going to be better practitioners by you telling them what this case is about, like, this is important for them to know, and you don't want your friend to be in a situation in a real life, um, you know, clinical event, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. So I think having that scripting before and after is important too. It's about your whole simulation culture, isn't it? And that relationship between, you know, your, your simulation faculty and your learners and making sure that everyone is working as a team for, for the best out of everyone's simulation learning experience. That gets down to faculty development. Just because someone can do something in clinical doesn't mean that they need to do it and that they do it in the simulation lab. Correct. I love getting get it together at the bar with you ladies. You know, here we are at celebrating Teresa becoming one of the new fellows of the society. I have learned something new here at the bar today. I'm going to go and find myself some glow-in-the-dark goop. Thanks for sharing that. And I think, you know, we've really brought up some ideas for our our colleagues around the world that might, you know, bring up some reflections on them and maybe they can share some of their failures and successes about how they're managing confidentiality related to scenarios. 
So share with us your failures at hashtag SimFails so others can learn from you too. Thank you, Teresa. Always a pleasure. Thank we got to go find the bartender. All right. <laughs> Cheers, Bye. ladies. Sim Fails and other conversations from the simulation sofa. It's brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more at harvardmedsim.org.